most of you, so you guys know that I was growing up. I was a I was a jock. That I grew up in sports from the time I was nine, and they dragged me to football and strapped on a helmet all the way through high school, and then even as an adult, I I, I yearned at times. I was I was crazy competitive, and and yet I, I so I couldn't get around people because growing up as a as a church going person, you know, you kind of throw people off when you're psychotic, like for softball. Like, okay, I'm not gonna play softball, so I, I got into cycling and 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 running and. Um, but in the midst of that, growing up, I, I painted. And I, and I was this weird kid because I would go in the afternoon and put on a helmet and run into people and, and like it. And I was mean on the football field. And, you know, I, I, had, I had heroes that some of you that knew uh, football history, you're like, hey, can I can't be a Christian and like that guy. Like, I, I love Jack Tatum. I loved you because that guy was just mean. And so I, 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 I would like love Jack Tatum, and then I would go oil paint. Like not like paint a house. Like if you knew me in my background, right, for those of you that are visiting, I grew up in construction and I've always worked with my hands. So like when you, if someone that knows me, hey, you paint, like, oh, yeah, you got an airless and you go paint houses. And I've done that. But when I was growing up, I, I, I took lessons from a guy that graduated from the New York Academy of Fine Arts. And for whatever reason, because he couldn't make any money, he taught punks like me how to oil paint. And, and if you've ever oil painted, it, it's, it, it's this, this weird dynamic that the, the paint doesn't dry, so it's this process. So once a week for like six years, like for six years, once a week, and during the summer, we'd go hang with them all weekend and go three or four times during the week. I'd go sweat and, and run and learn different words in, on football fields and baseball fields and wrestle, and then I would go and, 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 and paint. And at the time, I fell in love with art. And I was this, this, this crazy weird kid that, on one hand, I was this not the most best junior high or high schooler kid that, that what's that? <laughs> My wife's laughing. My wife's going to laugh more when I get talking to her about her. But, um, and, and then I would go and, and, like, he would drag us to the, to, around downtown L.A. and go to all these museums. And, and that love never has stopped. And I've carried through my life, and I've had the opportunity to travel with, with Zan, and we have gone to some amazing places. And we have sat in museums and walked in museums and we've seen pictures. But as a kid, I remember like he dragged us to uh, L.A. Modern Art. And, and I remember seeing the first Warhol. And I'm, I'm this kid going, you painted a Campbell soup can? And, and, you know, as a 12-year-old, that doesn't have the right training yet. You're like talking. This is stupid. You paint a soup can. You're like, shh, just look at it. Nothing to look at. It's a soup can. But in the, in the process, I have I have since then I've seen some amazing things, right? And if you've ever been to a museum, you're able to see some amazing things. And from a guy that used to paint, I always find myself drawn to the canvas. Right? You see people you see people around it, and and they're 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 from a distance, and they're like you know the proper they're looking at it, and I'll go up there because I love the brushstrokes. But if you ever see a Monet, you're like, you lean into it. You're like, man. 
we were able last year to go see Rembrandt in, in St. Petersburg. And they had a whole whole area of nothing but Rembrandts. And I remember looking at it. And, and it doesn't do justice if you've ever wa- looked at pictures. And pictures are phenomenal. And, and you know, everybody has certain pictures of, of you know, water lilies or um, Starry Night or, or some, of the, some of the more classics. And, but when you go and see the original, like, oh, my gosh. And, and from a guy that has painted and by no means I'm a hack but you're intrigued by the skill set that it took to create the art and so you you lean in and you're like man however hundreds of years ago that one dude held that brush and he created that and you get caught up in elements of the picture right you get you get caught up into just parts of the canvas. And I, I, I want to tell you that this morning because, because it, I've been, we've been wrestling with what Zan has been going through and, and, and God and I have had a, a lot of different kind of conversations. And some of them not so good. Some of them more disrespectful than normal. And, and I was like, God, help me understand What's going on here? Because, right, when you hear things and you, you find out things, you want some level of, of understanding. And, and he's like, you remember looking at the picture? And I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? He's like, you got so caught up in the picture, in an element. You forgot the picture. And then he leads me to, to Romans 8. And if you have your Bibles, look at Romans 8. And we love this verse. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. How many love that verse? I love that verse. Right? I mean, I'll put a t-shirt. I might make t-shirts. I love that verse. And I get, and like if if this was a canvas, I'd get and like, Oh my God, that is the most beautiful, pretty part of the picture. It's all surreal. Just work to comfort me, God. I love that verse because it resonates with me. It gives me hope. It brings me peace and, 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 and comfort. And in fact, I don't have to explain hard things in that verse. I can just go, all things work together for good. Glory to him. But is that the whole of Christianity? Or is that just part of the canvas? Right, so the same section of scripture. If you are to share his glory, you must also share in the suffering. I don't like that verse. Right? If, if I was going to make a t-shirt, I wouldn't sell that one. I'll give you a word that I learned in a, in a doctoral program. It's, this was a brand new word. It's called a pericope. Anybody heard that word before? When you study scripture, you, you, you look at a section, a pericope. You, you look at the context of what it was written in and where the breaks were in the author. 
as Americans, we take sections of Scripture, and I do it. I take sections of Scripture and make that the entire section. And I build a theology around one very specific part of Scripture. All things work together for good. And then I, I black out other sections in the same section of Scripture. Right? So when you read Romans 8 and you hold on to that, all things work together for good. And we raise our hand and we glorify God in the highest because we know as is our Father in heaven, He's going to work everything out for good. Like, what do I do with that? But in the same section of Scripture, in the same chapter, in the same book, in the same pericope, he writes that. Do I celebrate the feet that are beat up? Or do I celebrate the head resting on the chest? Because both's part of the same canvas. And when we go back to this, scholars debate whether Paul is referring to suffering from persecution as Paul spread the gospel, or if it's suffering from a holistic standpoint, meaning everything that men and women face who are, who are Christians, who live and operate and exist in a fallen world. Well, I can't debate the, the scholarly premise of it. I do not believe that Paul, when he writes to the Roman, is only referring to persecution. I think Paul, when he writes to the, or to the, to the Romans, is, is referring to life. So the reason I'm, I, I tell you this is that as believers and as wannabe painters, we are drawing to parts of a canvas. And I was trying to, to, to kind of wrestle with this because I, I, was, I was wrestling with some news that we got this, this past week. And I, I began to, to, honestly, I began to read about art. You know, I like Google art, and I and, and I, I felt like God is like, hey, dude, look at what a frame is. Now, in modern art, frames aren't that important, but back with with masters, frames were vital. In fact, there's there's some scholars that would say that the guy that made the frame made more money than the guy that painted the picture. And And as I turned to it, I found out this. I found out that a frame protects a picture. A frame shows off the quality of the picture. A frame accommodates the picture in the setting that it is supposed to hang in. Right? In fact, they, they said that, that Degas picked a, a, a frame and it was like this big, big traumatic thing because he painted bright colors around it. Um, Van Gogh spent so much time stressing about what it was to pick the right picture. A curator in one museum took 22 years to find the right frame for a Dutch master. 22 years. I'm like, okay, God, what are you trying to say to me? I believe God throughout his word has painted Numerous masterpieces. 
numerous masterpieces, everything from the, the, the narratives of just phenomenal. I mean, if you look at, if you were going to paint Israel, right, in Exodus, would you paint a nation leading up to the Red Sea? Would you paint the, 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 the parting? Would you paint the rock that formed water? If you, if you went to kings, if you painted David, would you paint him leading a nation? Would you paint him slaying a giant? If you went to Jesus, would you paint him in a wedding, partying with everybody? Would you paint him reaching his hand out and, and healing somebody? Would you, would you paint him up on a mountaintop saying, blessed are you who mourn and weep? Blessed are you who are humble. And I would say, yes, absolutely. Throughout Scripture, God in His Word and in His love for His people have painted over and over and over again masterpieces. And I would suggest to you that Romans 8 is one of His masterpieces. is one of His creative works that capture the heart of his people. And yet the, the, the premise of Romans 8 is what is the masterpiece and what is the frame? Because if you're like me, you can't see the frame if you study only one piece of the canvas. You have to step back to have your eyes capture the entire canvas or take in the frame. Does that make sense? Am I, am, I, am I losing anybody? Okay. Because I really wrestled with, if I, my, my head sometimes works in, in crazy, crazy ways. But put it this way. One artist wrote that, that of, of a frame, they are where the picture stops and the world begins. They are where the picture stops and the world begins. So when I read Romans 8, what I would suggest to you is there is a very specific frame that, that hangs and focuses our attention on the picture. And I say that to you because I, I told you last week that I was going to give you an update on, on my wife. And... Not because I enjoy doing this, but because I know you love her and love us, and, and I, I want to keep you informed and kind of where we're at and where we're going. Um, so I, last time we talked, she was going in for surgery. And then I was like, hey, she had a great surgery. Everything's awesome and cool. And then things kind of changed since then. She's still awesome and cool. Okay, so just so you know. Um, but so we went through the first surgery, and this is kind of how the, the journey began. So I'm just going to talk to you like I'm just reading a, a paper that I've written for school. So I'm going to like, so if you think I'm cold, I am, um, but not all the time, but I will be just kind of like give you some data. So I won't look at her, uh, but I'll look at all the rest of you. So we, we went to, she went through the first surgery. Doctor comes out, it's like, hey, it's awesome. Three days later, we get a call, or four days later, we get a call from pathology. It's like, it's not awesome, the margins. So they cut the mass out, and they take out some more, and the margins are supposed to be clear of any cancer cells so we can move on. They come back and say, hey, it's not awesome. You've got to go and have another surgery. Like, 
that stinks. So a week later, we go in and have a second surgery. And the doctor comes back and says, hey, we're going to, um, it looks good, but. Like, I hate when doctors say that, by the way. Okay, so, and she's a, just an amazing surgeon. And, and she comes in and like, hey, we're going to need to wait for final pathology because I don't want to tell you. I told you last time. So it's going to be about a week. Oh, cool. Okay, we can wait for a week. Just get her home and, and, and um, we get this great news like three days early. And she calls me like, hey, pathology called, final pathology, everything's clear. It's like, oh, praise God. Right? No more surgery. We're done. And we go to the oncologist. Oncologist goes, hey. And, and what I've discovered about this, this realm is it's like I'm sitting eating chicken wings with a guy. Because it's just matter of fact. Those of you that are in medical condition, I love you, and, and I respect you, and I've sat in enough hospitals watching people with, with nurses and doctors and surgeons. At, at the, I have the utmost respect, but I know that, that like in certain fields, it's just like, I've got to talk to you. So we're sitting with this guy, and he's like, hey, um, you know that, that test that was unequivocal? Well, I sent it out again, and now it's equivocal, which means your wife's cancer that was just one estrogen positive is now triple positive and it's really aggressive or aggressive and so we're going to have to do chemo. I'm like, whoa, whoa, stop. You ever been told something where you just go stop? That was one of those days where you're like, stop. Because now you're conflicting what I know. Because what I know is what the surgeon told me, what the doctor told me, and now I'm with an oncologist and you're telling me something different. Wow. So we process all this, and so last Friday we went back to the oncologist, so, so, and, and we got confirmed some stuff. So Zan's starting radiation Wednesday, so she'll have 20 radiation treatments for a month, so it's five days a week for a month. Um, and, and so she will, she will endure that, and then she will go, and what it looks like now, we're going to get a second opinion next week. But what it looks like now is that, that when she gets back from, from Portland and a family reunion, uh, she will enter into chemo, which is four months, and all the stuff that happens with chemo will, will occur. And so you sit there, and you, you, you go through these words, and you go through this, this journey, and you're like, okay, what's happening? Right, because now you, 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 as a husband, and husbands, you'll appreciate this. As a husband, you can't do jack. You just sit back. And so, okay, I can build things. You want a cabinet? You know, I build you a new bed. Build you a set of dresser. Or carve you something. What I really wish you could do, what I could do, is like, hey, you just sit back. I'll go through this for you. And, and you can just chill. I'll, t I'll, I'll do this. But you realize that you can't. And so as a, a pastor, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a believer that Jesus heals, saves, baptizes, and delivers, you're sitting there going, okay, what part of the canvas is this? What, what, what kind of, the, what kind of the, the canvas is, is this? Is it, is it just like that? Or is it like that? Maybe. There's a canvas, part of the canvas that I love of all these pictures. And this is one of my most favorite pictures I've ever seen hung. 
But within this canvas, there's some scary parts of it. There's parts that if I just stare at them, they're, they're dark. And they're upsetting. And this is what this is kind of like for us. It's like if I sit back as, a, as, as one of your friends, if I, if I sit and just go, hey, I'm not your pastor right now, I'm just one of you. I'm just a brother in Christ with you whose wife's going through some stuff. I would say I crawl up next to the canvas that God's asking me to look at, and I'm like, what the heck is that? Because when you hear bad news, and, and, and so, so let's step away from, from the cancer. I've talked to you enough, and I, I know enough of your stories, that there's a ton of people that have went through bad stuff. And in the midst of bad stuff, you get up right next to the canvas, and you're like, that makes no sense to me. Because that's all that you can see, because the news so permeates everything that you are. You're looking for some brushstroke of somebody that you recognize. Because surely that can't be the master that you know. Because it's dark and, and God says he's light. And, and if you're like me, you're like, you start looking at justice, reasons for justice. Well, that's not fair. That part of the canvas isn't fair. That part doesn't work for me. It doesn't fit my idea of what this world should be like. Why should she have to go through that? Why should you have to lose someone that you love? Why should you be given bad news for this? Why should you lose your job? Why should you have a kid that falls away? Why should you get divorced? Why should you have someone that cheats on you? Why should you do this? It shouldn't be part of the canvas because the part of the canvas that we have is this joyous kind of love of a father. It's just this amazing thing that, that sits and doesn't always work, you know. I love that part. But I don't necessarily like other parts. And I say all that. You see, there's parts of a canvas of our life that God, I would say, is creating a masterpiece that aren't all pleasant. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, for the Jews as well as the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in cities, in deserts, and the seas. And I have faced dangers from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked long and hard during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. And I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Part of the canvas is that rely on. The Apostle Paul raised people from the dead. The Apostle Paul who saw people healed. The Apostle Paul who, who was tasked by Jesus himself 
to bring the good news of the gospel to a world that was completely lost. That dude, he's like, he's shipwrecked? He doesn't fit on that canvas. You see, with that shipwreck, like, dude, you raised the dead. How can you be beating? And be so, well, that's for Jesus. Like, let's not, let's not do that. And so if we step back and we look at We look at this idea of the frame. Every single one of these pictures that was supposed to work that didn't because I love technology so much. It's part of the same canvas. It's part of that. That is Rembrandt's prodigal. We had the joy last year of, of standing before it. And let me tell you, if you ever get the chance to go to St. Petersburg, Russia, and walk in the Hermitage, go upstairs and find that picture. And you can lose yourself in it. You can see the, the arrogance of the, the oldest son. You can see the darkness of the spectator trying to figure out what's going on. You can see the brokenness of the feet of the prodigal. You can see the tenderness of the hands of the father. You can see light like you've never seen it painted. And it's immense. It is a big picture. It's not poster size. And when I read, there's an author, one of my favorite authors, a guy named Henri Nguyen, and he wrote about this. And he tells a story of sitting in this, on a chair and looking at it for a couple weeks. And you can lose yourself in elements of this picture. You can lose yourself in the hands and the feet and the faces and the light and the dark. But if you lose yourself in any one element, you miss the beauty of the masterpiece. And for some of you, that's speaking right at you. If you focus on only one element of that work, no matter how majestic that work is, if you only focus on one element, whether it's profoundly light or profoundly dark, you do not see the masterpiece at a whole. And so if we go back to Romans, he writes in verse 15, that you have received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father or Dad. What I believe Scripture is, is a series of masterpieces framed by our position in Christ, which is sons and daughters of the Most High. So as it's framed as a daughter, then I can look at darkness, realizing that there's something so much more precious than a moment of darkness and a moment of fear. When I realize that my position in Christ is as a son, that by I can call him dad, then I can stare at the top back corner of that thing 
and at times be consumed by the loneliness of what it is to live in darkness. But I know when I step back that I am not encumbered by my limited perception of what I think is the totality of God's work. But when I step back and I see it framed in the fact that I am His son and my wife is His daughter, then this momentary affliction is but that. A momentary affliction. So there are times when I go up close and even in the darkness, I see the brushstrokes of my master. I see the brushstrokes of my dad. And I know that this does not define him, nor does it define her. So this morning, I want to ask you to keep praying for us. It's going to be a long few months. If God wants to heal in the midst of that, you will be the third person to know. Right? I might send you from a postcard somewhere. Cool. But we're going to celebrate every victory and every light on the canvas that we are living. We acknowledge up in the corner there's some darkness. There's some stuff to be afraid of. Why? Because we're human. Right? I ain't going to lie to you and say, hey, look, it's the whole sun. No, man, because the back left corner looks kind of bad. Ah, but if I step away and I see a dad in heaven embracing someone that I dearly love in the midst of it, in the midst of it. So if we can be honest with ourselves and say, well, if we find ourselves in a place that seems dark, ask yourself, can you see the frame? Can you see the frame? Because if you can't see the frame, you can't see the picture. And if you can't see the picture, your perception is limited and skewed. And you're judging what you're going through only on an element of the canvas, not the the masterpiece itself. And the masterpiece is majestic. And the masterpiece will take your breath away. And what God desires for you is good and not evil. That the plans He has for you are rich and to prosper you and to give you a future and a hope. Not to punish you or to get even with you or to get your attention or any other theology that we have built around over elements of the picture. But if I look at anything that I go through, when it's framed, in adoption. That before the foundations of the earth, He chose you. And that rewrites my narrative. And that rewrites what my wife's going through. And no matter how bad it gets, no matter how many times we break, we will come together and we will celebrate God's goodness. Because it is in His goodness that there is fullness of joy. It is in His goodness that we stand firm on the promises of His Word. It is in His goodness that we look forward to six months and eight months and a year. 
It is in his goodness that I know that this life does not define us.